Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. On today's program, we're going to be speaking about Tunisia and what's happening there with the arrest of um, opposition leaders and a crackdown uh, on democracy. We're going to speak to a daughter of one of those individuals that's been arrested, a leader within the opposition party there. And um, I'll also be speaking to my co-host about Ron DeSantis and more. Uh, this is True Talk on WMNF. We'll be right back after this short break, music break. بس تشوف الدنيا أحلى والحومة مفحلة والحومة مفحلة دوك 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 دستنا في عسل النحلة سابورك أحلى سابورك أحلى هسنا الطيار ورمنافع قبل رحلة ضايع بين الحيوت وملكي تشرب لاسة حومة بين بلاد الهوت يما خلوني بشي خامس موت وحكم وناس الراقة والكراسي بالهبوت نحب نشد الروت ونقلب المناظر نقلب وجهي منه هنا يما ما نحب نعيش الاحياء بالموت نوفا كيما ولد الزارع بشي خاطب له يا ليلي ويا ليلا وش بش نسكيلك يما وقالوا لي ليلا صغير وفي قلبي غمة حب الدين ودير الفوق يحبوا يقصوا لجناحي قولي ذكراني مخنوق ومنك طالب اسماحي ريوس الرجالة ميلا روزنك بالتخمام وبشي خالم خاخم بيلا ولاد الحومة اشوات النمجيلة شرف العينين بالخير ماهيش مستفيلة حبوا يسوقونا كيف الزيلة ومربط في زيبة وخطوة السكين مكيلة يحبوك بري ما عندك شي عائلة نعيشوا في سيستام حكمه ولاد المتحيلة يحبوك غايب على الوجود ساكت على حقك وراضي باللي حبو موجود يما تجري وماكش خالت على الكوت مش خلى ولاد الحومة قطع قطع من الحدود تهيدوا في قفسك مربوط واذبع مسيبو زيدك للك عشاك يما حبوك قاعد في زنقة مرفوض والمستقبل اللي تشوف فيه متعدي بحفظ يا ليلي ويا ليلا وش بش نسكيلك يما وقالوا لي ليلا صغيرو في قلبي غمة Welcome back to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. This is um, a True Talk, a global affairs radio show. It's been on for 15 years on this radio show. Actually, it's longer. Um, over 15 years. So, um, but our show is moving. Starting next Thursday, a week from today, our show is going to be moving to... Um, uh, 12 o'clock. So a week from today, we're going to noon. So make sure you tune in at noon every Thursday, starting next uh, Thursday, June 1st. It's a new uh, programming schedule, WMNF, and our time slot. I don't know if it's a promotion or something else, but we're going to noon. 
12 o'clock every Thursday here at WMNF um, at 88.5 or online at um, WMNF.org. So on today's program, we're um, going to actually be speaking about Tunisia. And uh, we've talked about Tunisia a couple of times this year. And more importantly, we're doing that because Tunisia was uh, basically seen as a success story of the Arab Spring, something Summer and I have supported. We've talked frequently about it over the past decade or more since uh, 2010, 2011. And when it happened in Tunisia, when it happened in Egypt, when it happened in different countries throughout the Middle East, we supported the call for democracy and the call for freedom. And all those uh, countries that had uprisings and had revolutions to overthrow their dictatorships and to move towards democracy, um, unfortunately, have all failed. But the only one that continued to be a success story was Tunisia up until uh, recently. And now things have uh, taken a turn for the worst in Tunisia. And now even in Tunisia, which was a success story, that democracy doesn't seem to currently exist. I want to read from The Guardian, who wrote um, back in March about the story that we're going to be speaking about to about today. And um, the title of it was A UK Urged to Seek the Release of Tunisian Opposition Figure Jailed in Crackdown. And it goes on to say that Britain is being urged to help protect the last vestiges of the Arab Spring by calling for the release of Saeed Ferjani, the leading Tunisian politician who has been thrown into prison as part of an effort to silence critics of the country's increasingly authoritarian president. Ferjani, 68, lived in the UK in political exile for more than two decades before returning to Tunisia's democratic awakening in 2011. Tunisia is seen as the birthplace of the Arab Spring, but... Kauthar Ferjani, the London-based daughter of Said, said that the collapse of the country into fascistic dictatorship represented one of the great tragedies of modern politics. And she's asking, um, she was asking British MPs to urge the UK Foreign Office to do more to demand his release, saying he has been imprisoned on trumped-up charges. And now I'm joined by uh, Kauthar Farjani. She is joining us uh, live from where, Kauthar? Oh, hold on a second. Okay. Yeah, Kauthar, are you there? Okay. For some reason, I'm not hearing Kauthar. Can you hear me? Okay, I'm going to check um, to see. So I'm going to continue reading this article until she can uh, join, but she should be on. And if uh, my uh, producer, Frank, can come in here and see what's happening. So this story goes on. Oh, some, I guess she got disconnected. Um, that's why, for some reason... And um, she's overseas. We're connecting through Zoom. And for some reason, um, we lost the connection. So the article uh, continued to say that uh, she's asking for these, uh, you know, that these are trumped up charges. And for Jenny, 
Um, he's a leading figure in the Nahda party, which was previously detained, and he was previously detained and tortured when former uh, President Zain El Abidin Ben Ali was in power. So, um, as I was saying, that um, he was arrested on trumped up charges, and now I'm joined with Kauthar. There's some feedback in the audio there. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, sorry. Um, I seem to lost connection just now. I'm actually in Kenya at the moment. So sorry about that. Okay, you're in Kenya, Africa. You're based in London. Uh, what are you doing in Kenya? Um, well, we came to Kenya on Monday because we felt like um, we actually filed a case yesterday in Arusha against the um, the current regime in the names of um, in the names of my father and other political prisoners. Um, we felt like Kenya was a good jumping off point before we went to the African court because they are, um, you know, an emerging democracy. Um, they are key figures in Africa at the moment in diplomacy. And so we thought it was a good way to start before we launched our case. Um, and yeah, and there's been a lot of feedback on that in Tunisia at the moment. Some people are very un Okay, um, yeah, listeners just bear with us in case the connection uh, goes bad, but it's coming in and out. Our guest is in uh, Kenya. And um, if we do lose connection, I guess she'll reconnect. So, um, uh, Keltha, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, this is uh, starting to sound like uh, Don, uh, Ron DeSantis's effort to launch his campaign yesterday, which uh, didn't go very well on Twitter. And I promise you we're not using Twitter, but we're using Zoom. But I think the connection on her end is uh, spotty. Um, so just to give you an, you know, again, we lost it. Um, uh, let me just take a, a quick music break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we're, we're going to try to get this fixed. But this is True Talk on WMNF. Uh, please uh, be patient with us. Thank you. Yeah. 
اللي فما وكل حد وهمه وكنا محلنا واليوم زمامه وبكات الماما خشومات في الشمه شكون اللي بلانا فكرت اصحابي اصحابي حبوا على خرابي اعطيتهم مترابي فرشوش وكفرش نزرابي وفي غيبوبة إيه وينك يا سحوبة إيه وطلعوا ذيوبة إيه وناس خوانا Welcome back to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 um, with Ahmed and Samar. I'm going back to my guest, uh, Kautha Farjani. She's uh, live from Kenya in Africa and connection was spotty. I'm not sure if it's fixed now. We're going to try again. Kautha, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm really sorry about that. My connection has been actually amazing all week in Kenya and um, sod's law, I guess. So I went off at this important moment. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, we. I hear you fine. Uh, and okay. so you're there, you filed a, a petition in the African court. Um, is yeah. that, that's kind of like the International Criminal Court, but for Africa? Yeah, it's for Africa. So there are six full members. Um, I think there are over 30 signatories, um, like other countries that are also um, um, members, but it's like state to state. Um, But the six full members, one of them, thankfully, is Tunisia. And we thought a good place to start is in Africa. It is our continent. And um, we decided to start here first. Okay, well, that makes sense. But let's just go back um, and, you know, we want to get to the story that your father is now in prison in mm-hmm. uh, Tunisia. He is part of the opposition. In fact, uh, he was one of the leaders trying to shape um, democracy in Tunisia after uh, the revolution there and the start of the Arab Spring. But now mm-hmm. he's in jail. Um, let's just go back before then. Uh, he was He spent 20 years in exile in the U.K., uh, where you now live. Why? How did he end up in the United, Ki- United Kingdom? Um, so in my brother, um, my father was, uh, sorry, his name is Sayed Fajani. He, he was in uh, the opposition in um, under the, well, under the Bourguiba regime. And then um, a few weeks after Bin Ali took over, after his coup, my father was one of the people that was, um, sent to prison um he was tortured there he was um declared by amnesty international as a prisoner of conscience my father would be tortured to the point where he would be comatose for five days at a time his back was broken he couldn't walk and um almost two years after his imprisonment he was temporarily released and that's where he decided that it was time to flee because they would imprison him again. Um, He taught himself how to walk long enough to get through security and without showing any pain in his face. And then, yeah, he reached um, the UK. So just to add a timeline to all of this, when was, uh, when was, when did this happen? What year? How old is your father? Okay, sorry. So my father is 68 years old. He went to um, uh, Bin Ali's coup was November 
1987, and my dad was imprisoned within a week of that. So and then he, he spent how long in yeah. prison? In he spent, I think, a year, a year and a half, a year, between a year and a half, a bit more. Um, and he was released after some pressure from human rights organizations because of the severity of his torture. Um, and then he, um, like I said, um, he decided to flee. And even in, in London, during his time in exile, he was sentenced to uh, many life sentences in absentia. So um, in 1987, when this uh, leader Ben Ali came to power in Tunisia, when and arrested uh, opposition figures, one of them being your father, tortured in prison, and a year and a half, two years later, he was released temporarily. And during that time, he escaped to go to mm -hmm. the United Kingdom, where he spent another 20 years there while in at, in the UK, the Ben Ali government, which uh, became a ruthless dictatorship, uh, sentenced him to many years in prison, many lifetimes in prison while he was in exile. Were there a lot of other yeah. people that were exiled with him? Uh, yeah, there were. So we were the first to 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 um, go to London, but the, that's where the the head of the party, Ranushi, um he came, he came and joined probably a year or two after we were there. Um, and we actually had a community full of um, Tunisian exiles. There were plenty more in France and across Europe. And I think maybe a couple in the US, but most of them were spread across Europe. Um, so these would have been opposite. What did they all have in common, these folks that were forced to uh, go into exile and escape uh, Tunisia? So I'd say um, they were all in opposition of the um, of dictatorship, um, both under Bourguiba and Ben Ali. Um, they some of them were from different political parties, but at the time, um, the main party that was targeted was another. I mean, he did also target the left, but as in as a big group. It was mostly another affiliates, and it would even be lowly members or even the family of um, members of another. For those that are not familiar with the Tunisian uh, politics and history, modern history, what does Anahda uh, mean and um, you know, what makes them uh, a target? Why were they made to be a target of that opposition? So I would say, um, so Anahda means um, roughly um, the Renaissance. So it's the Renaissance party. Um, it was um, started off by the leader, um, Sheikh Rashid al-Ghannoushi. Um, he is a Muslim Democrat. Um, he is um, a key, um, I think, thinker in our region and especially amongst Muslims. Um, he was the first, I think it's been decades, over 40 years where he has been preaching um, uh, democracy and pluralism and how that can go hand in hand in Islam. And I would say one of the main reasons that they um, uh, they were seen as a threat to the authoritarian regime was because of their, um, I mean, part of it was the religious um, aspect to it because Tunisia did have a lot of Islamophobic policies at the time. Um, but it was all and and religious repression, but also because of um, the um, marriage between that and um, democracy. And Ranushi is known as a big proponent of uh, democracy. So uh, you know, by the way, for because our audience is American, you know, 
um, I guess we pronounce it Renaissance. Uh, I guess it's oh, a little different with that, with that <laughs> accent, uh, not to you know to be snobby or anything, but um, your pronunciation is also nice. And um, you know, some people listening to this may be thinking, Muslim Democrats. Um, what does that mean? Are they are these Muslims in the Democratic Party, or you know, because when I think Democrats, you know, we have Republicans, mm. Democrats. What does Muslim Democrat mean? What are what were the ideals of this party that your father? And Rashid Ghanoushi, the founder of that party, were pushing for. What does it mean to be part of a Nahda, and what does it mean to be a Muslim Democrat? Um, I would say, I mean, with I mean, the term is very loose, but I, I would say, with regards to a Nahda, um, you have to know at the time um, in Tunisia, a lot of, like I said, a, there was a lot of religious repression. There was a lot of, um, you know, remnants of colonialism, um, French colonialism in Tunisia. And, um, you know, Islam or Muslim, practicing Muslims were targeted. So at the time, um, Aranushi, um, who is an intellect um, himself, not just a politician, he felt that, um, you know, um, one way to, um, while he was, uh, while he wanted democracy in Tunisia, he also wanted um there to be in his party an element of Islam in it, especially because, you know, hijab was banned at the time. I mean, up until 2011, from the beginning of Tunisia's independence, there were no women uh, allowed to wear hijab in any ID card. Um, they couldn't go to school with a hijab on or any government building. Um, also, um, with regards to going to a mosque, um, People, if you were young, some people needed, uh, you know, there was a point where you needed a license to enter a mosque. So though, uh, you couldn't have a beard. So um, for them, it was marrying their religion and democracy. And um, and they believed in pluralism. They believed in everyone participating in democracy, um, whether it's the left, um, the right, communist, secular. And um, so that's, that for them is what a Muslim Democrat is. And does that mean also respecting the rights of um, other people who are not Muslim or are not religious? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So that was, um, in fact, in the constitution um, after the revolution that was led by, the constitution was led by Nahda, though um, many parties were involved in it. Um, they believed in the freedom um, freedom of religion, of all religions in Tunisia. They also recognize that um, Judaism is indigenous to our country. It's not a, it's not even like a, a foreign religion to us. So they've what always... Is, what is indigenous? Uh, that Judaism is indigenous oh, Judaism. to Tunisia. Okay. Yeah. Like the because Jewish community. Have, yeah, the Jewish community um, is, and the religion itself, it's... it's um, they're indigenous to our country. And so, yeah, um, they've, um, like, long before have always believed in um, in a person's religion and their religious freedoms uh, to be always respected. That's right. There was recently an attack on a synagogue in Tunisia under the current uh, regime, right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, the only time since the independence, uh, Tunisia's independence, that there's ever been an attack on that synagogue um, because it's uh, it's the oldest synagogue in Africa and um, it's a very famous 
pilgrimage that they have there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only times there's ever been attacked is under all three dictators, so under Burgiba, under Bin Ali, and under um, under Qais Said, who refuses to call it a terrorist attack. Okay, so um, it's interesting that, um, you know, because oftentimes here in the West, and I'm sure you get this too in the UK with mm-hmm. the uh, British Defence League, uh, I think that's what they call themselves, but we have, you know, these oh, Islam- English, yeah. English Defence League, and we have these yeah. uh, anti-Muslim movements, Islamophobic movements that we call them, you know, the anti-Muslim network in America <laughs> that became very popular after 9-11, and they push these narratives out there that you can't be a Muslim and promote democracy, that Islam and uh, democratic values uh, don't mix, that you can't be a good American and, and a good Muslim, that... Um, these narratives exist out there, and I'm sure you also hear the, the same thing throughout Europe. Uh, but mm-hmm. here's an example of Muslims uh, or religious community or um, religious people that also want to respect democracy and the rights of others, yet um, they're under attack. And what I also found you know, that may be surprising to some of the people listening is that under the, the dictatorship of Ben Ali, which was the person in power before the Arab Spring, that they had these Islamophobic campaigns. But Tunisia, uh, which you call in, in, in Britain Tunisia, in, in, <laughs> in Arabic it's Tunis, um, isn't a predominantly Muslim country? So yeah, it's actually, I think, something like 99% um, Muslim country. So how is but it that a 99% Muslim country is practicing Islamophobic campaigns? So it's obviously it wasn't the majority. It was a it was a very loud minority, and it was the regime. It's a mixture between, um, like I said, remnants of French colonialism and their understanding of what secularism is, which is repression of religion. Yeah, it was mostly Islam that was targeted. It was also the fact that there was like <laughs> a renaissance of. Uh, people becoming a bit more religious in the late 70s and 80s. And they were connecting that to the rise of, you know, political Islam. And so that's another reason why they also targeted it. So they thought like we're going to nip it in the bud where even any association with the religion that looks a bit too religious, um, you know, like I said, hijab, bid, praying when you're young, um, um, or going to school with a hijab, studying with a hijab, going, working in an official office mm-hmm. with a hijab. They saw that as, um, you know, kind of getting rid of any association of being part of a political movement that was very popular because it was the most, I mean, even now with dwindling support and dwindling popularity, it's still the largest party in Tunisia. Well, so if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. I'm speaking to Kauthar Farjani. She's the daughter of Saeed Farjani, a leading figure in Al-Nahda Party, uh, which means Renaissance, uh, of Tunisia. He is currently being imprisoned in Tunisia for his political activism. This is not the first time he's been imprisoned. Uh, in fact, some over 30 years ago, he was also imprisoned under a different dictatorship, uh, dictator and escaped that persecution and lived in exile in the UK for a couple of decades and returned after the Arab Spring, which happened in 2010, 2011. 
and to try to help usher in a new era of democracy. Years later, less than a decade or about a decade later, there's another dictator that is now back in power in Tunisia and has gone on to arrest many of the same people that were arrested before. Um, so after the uh, Arab Spring happened and Nahda Party, all these people that were in exile in Europe and in other parts of the world returned back to Tunisia to help shape the future of Tunisia. What happened? Um, well, it was slow. At first, they were um, another. Um, they had a free, free and fair elections. Another won quite a majority. But I, at the time, they decided that you know they would be in a coalition government. Um, two other parties decided to join them. They were known as Troika. Uh, the three of them. Um, they were two secular parties. Um, Unfortunately, within a year and a half, there was an assassination uh, um, of two, at the time, relatively unknown um, leftist um, uh, party leaders who um, were critical of another. But many, I mean, at the time, I would say the majority were critical of another purely based on you know, what they stood for um, as Muslim de Democrats. Um, I mean, um, so there was, even though they were found not to be guilty, the judge found who the people were behind this. Um, a lot of the opposition, including um, kind of uh, uh, the old regime 2.0, um, combined together to, to want them to step down. And another, even though it had quite a few more years um, left in its term, decided that for the betterment of the country, because at the time there was also the coup happening in Egypt, for the betterment of the country, that they were going to put the country first and that they stepped down um, and they not until that they finished the constitution um, that involved, I think, over 70 parties at the time. And so, um, and it was actually one of the, best constitutions in our region. Um, it respected a lot of freedoms out of the 2014 uh, constitution. So they stepped down. Um, in the last 10 years, you know, there's been a lot of freedoms gained in the last uh, in the last 10 years. It hasn't been perfect, but it's a young democracy. Um, there was a lot of pushback and, you know, there was, you know, over 50 years of uh, dictatorship and corruption to clean. Um, but Unfortunately, yeah, in 2021, we had the the coup, and now we're here. Right. What um, it just seems like in every time there was a crisis in um, post the Arab Spring, and when these Muslim Democrats are coming to power in the Nahda Party, it seemed like any time there was a crisis, whether it's these assassinations that were done or other situations, um, the the other groups that were not in Nahda, the, uh, whether they're remnants of the old regime or they were you know, secular leftists, uh, and I hate to call them leftists because many of them are just kind of on the extreme, uh, you know, socialist end, um, that they uh, would, you know, use it as a pretext to try to um, undo the people's vote or democracy, and, you mm -hmm. know, and they pushed for 
a Mahda to actually be banned or to be out, even though they right. wanted the ballot box and they won't let them finish their term. I remember at the time, because you know, I'm originally from Egypt, I remember at the time, uh, because there was a coup in Egypt and people were calling for, you know, something similar to happen in Tunisia, that in mm-hmm. Lahda and their leadership went out of their way to compromise and to even um, to cancel, you know, the wins that they had at the election uh, box and mm-hmm. to start all over again to try to appease mm-hmm. the opposition. It's like they mm-hmm. bent over backwards to appease them, but mm-hmm. it was never enough. Um, did you think that was a mistake back then or did they make the right move? Because it just seems at the end, they're still back. Now they're back in jail. Um, my personal opinion at the time, obviously, I had many arguments with my dad uh, about those things. But I would say looking back on it, um, these people are also... You know, when I add the Muslim Democrat, this is where the Muslim part comes in, the Democrats part is they still felt a sense of, it wasn't always necessarily to appease the opposition, but it was to prevent more havoc and instability on the Tunisians. Mm. So they felt it's a responsibility on their part to be the bigger person, uh, not necessarily to get them more brownie points with these guys, but it was just like, I think they saw, and obviously we also had a lot of counter-revolutionary forces that were, um, at play here that weren't just from, you know, within the country. And so right. they felt the responsible thing to do, especially after they saw what happened in Egypt, they didn't want bloodshed. They didn't want, uh, I mean, you know, they felt like that was, this was a route that they could take so that they don't put Tunisians in a position, um, um, yeah, in that kind of, that awful position. But, Years later, when it was time that, uh, you know, democracy was being under threat, mm. did the public take that into account, what Nahda did and sacrificed to keep democracy alive? Because when um, the current president, you know, decided to do this coup, uh, it seemed like he had the support of the public. Yeah. I mean, there were people, there no, were thousands I- of people in the streets did those people mm-hmm. just forget what Al-Mahda had done to try to usher in and keep that democracy alive? And I remember arguing with Tunisians at the time that supported what happened and supported uh, the coup to say, well, you know, they had their chance. There's so much corruption happening. And they were just repeating things that I guess that mm-hmm. uh, were not necessarily rooted in fact, but they were just fed up, I guess, the, the feeling that I got from people there. Um, yeah, so I would say um, uh, it wasn't that they forgot. They just didn't see it that way because the main media outlets, especially the radio stations, not just the TV, were never going to frame it that way. They were never going to frame it in uh, another relinquished power for the sake of the good. And also, even when they say another had a chance, another was only the senior partner of a coalition less than two years straight after the revolution. Um, when people talk about, oh, another was in power for 10 years, they simply mean another was part of the political landscape of Tunisia. So uh, when they say that they gave them 10 years chance, they just mean that they let them exist for 10 years. Um, yes, um, there were there was a lot of support from um, 
from Tunisians um, with the coup. Um, but I would say a lot of that is, again, it was a lot of media and another didn't have any kind of influence um, on the media um, to, to say their side of the story in the last 10 years. They were heavily demonized. So by that point, um, they a lot of the people felt the problems in Tunisia were because of another, because that's the framing that they had from the media in the last um, in in those ten years. And on top of that, I think a lot of people don't understand, didn't weren't um, told, or, or it wasn't explained to them that it wasn't going to be happily ever after, straight after the revolution. There was a lot of things, and there was a lot of there's a lot of corruption to fix, um, and uh, people didn't get a, the chance to do that. So while his support was, he did have a lot of support July twenty fifth. I mean, in the really recent elections, um, his own numbers was around 10% turnout. And that's his inflated numbers. Um, he didn't let any independent um, uh, independent um, observers. Uh, organization, yeah, um, observers um, see this. But we knew even a lot of people reported there were many um, uh, voting offices where there was no one that even turned up. So, yeah, he was popular at that point he he kind of used that you know uh that populism to um to be seen as an outsider we've seen this trend even in the west of like i'm not a politician i'm here to fix mm -hmm. i'm just as angry as you but that's completely dwindled down because the economy has never been worse in tunisia um freedoms have never been well freedoms and since the last 10 years have never been worse and um tunisians are poorer than before um, they're having water cuts, even in urbanized areas, something that they've never seen before. Um, there's a lot of things that they're suffering right now, and he's not popular either himself. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF um, 88.5. We're speaking to Kalthar Farjani. She's the daughter of a, a well-known um, political leader from Tunisia named Saeed Farjani. He's part of the a political party called Nahda. He's currently in jail, jailed by the current president of Tunisia, uh, Kai Saeed, who was a uh, professor um, and a jurist. He's a retired law professor, and he was the president of the Tunisian Association of Constitutional Law from 1995 to 2019 when he became president. He was uh, unknown. He was not involved in any party, uh, political party, and he was uh, not really that well known. He made appearances on television from time to time, but uh, somehow he won the presidential election, um, including I think he even had support from members of a Nahda party when he ran um, in 2019. Yeah. How is it that uh, people did you know allowed this person to become president, and now he's turned against the same people, the very same party that? Um, may have supported him? Um, well, here's the thing. I think at the time there was a lot of mistrust amongst a lot of parties. And so um, by the end, all that was, um, you know, um, this relatively unknown te technocrat was seen as uh, a good option for most. And it was between him and um, a businessman that is controversial to say the least some believed he was corrupt um he's actually in prison at the moment for political charges nothing 
nothing to do with um, any accusations to do with his business. But so it was between those two and another went behind Qaisaid um, uh, for that reason. And um, and as for the people, they were went behind him because they saw him as, you know, a, kind of a man of the people, a technocrat, someone who doesn't have um, political vested interest in Tunisia, which is obviously um, ir- ironic. Right. Um, so it, it's things must have been really bad politically in Tunisia for a completely unknown to come to power and become and hold the highest office and surpass so many of the other political leaders. Do you think that Amahda made the, the party that your father belongs to? Did they make some mistakes along the way that allowed him to be in such a vulnerable situation at the end? Obviously, there are many factors involved, counter-revolutions, funding to topple the government and stop democracy by rich Gulf states that didn't want to see democracy flourish because this was the only success story still remaining. And um, it was there because Nahda was there. But did they make mistakes? Did they, you know, Uh, make some missteps along the way? Oh, of course. I mean, firstly, no party is perfect. They definitely did make mistakes, but I don't think they made grave enough dis- mistakes to deserve what's going on now. I think they were mostly primarily concerned with um, keeping Tunisia as stable as possible. And I think sometimes that meant that they had to make certain compromises that some people were unhappy about. Uh, I think now, uh, you know, they could look back on that and see the mistake, those mistakes um, that they were unhappy with. But I think overall, um, they probably would, you know, I mean, it's better, it's better that they didn't, they weren't responsible for any kind of authoritarianism at the time than, you know, being in the place they are today, because they did make a lot of concessions. And some people can say that they made too many concessions. I mean, me personally, the, I yeah. What do you? What sorry. do you? How do you personally feel? Me personally, I think one of the things that I wish and um, they did at the time was possibly uh, when it came to all the disinformation in the media that they um, took a litigious angle as they would have in the West at the time, because that also helped in their demonization uh, towards the end. Yeah, um, I mean, they kind of borrowed from the Egyptian playbook where also in Egypt, uh, the Morsi government, which was only in power for one year and didn't, yeah. in reality, they weren't really in power because they didn't control much of the government. But they left the media alone um, to just say whatever they want and spread misinformation yeah. and demonize their party. It mm-hmm. seems like Nahda did the same thing that they just allowed free speech to continue no matter what, even if it was misinformation and lies, and did not invest enough in media outlets or, you know, continue to allow their licenses in the in the um, spirit of uh, free speech and democracy and, you know, constitution and the rule of law. But it didn't seem like the opposition or the people that are trying to undo that were playing by the same rule. Uh, I also think that it was naive. It might have been, do you think it was... Well, let me just phrase it. Was it naive mm-hmm. by Al-Nahda um, and the political party there to just assume that um, 
that they can usher in a whole new democracy while keeping uh, the remnants of the old regime, the dictatorship regime, to be left alone and not held accountable for what they did. I mean, they didn't even exile or kick anyone out other than the president who fled, the former president. Uh, I mean, again, this is where, I mean, I'm not a Nahda member myself, um, and this is where my personal feelings versus theirs come out. Uh, I mean, I had certain feelings about that um, because I felt, um, you know, there shouldn't have been any kind of reconciliation with that. However, I think with them, what they felt at the time, again, they put stability first. They felt that those people who are still really powerful and still have a big hold in the main institutions in Tunisia, that if they were to kind of completely uh, isolate them and push them out, then they could um, cause some really dangerous instability in Tunisia. And Mm -hmm. I think that they were just trying... I mean, at the time, you know, there's a part of them that is thinking... They wouldn't... One thing with the, about another from the beginning is they weren't ever thinking of a full power grab themselves, even if it is through a democratic way. They were always thinking of, um, especially Ranushi, his camp anyway, were always thinking of the people first and that that they should put them above everything else. But obviously now hindsight is 2020 and you could say that, well, now it's led to this. So, mm. you know. Yeah, at the end is kind of the same end result. Let me let's just talk about uh, your father and the circumstances of his uh, recent arrest. Um, mm-hmm. The current president Kais Said came to power. He's completely unknown in October 2019 in a you know runoff election between him and some other business crony Nabil uh, Karawi. I think they called him Nabil Makarona or something because he was distributing <laughs> free. Um, pasta to poor people mm. to get their votes, and he mm. was kind of a you know part of uh, you know remnants of the old regime or the oligarchs. So um, mm. this people took a chance on Kais Saeed, who then did a a coup during the pandemic, uh, or at mm. the end of the pandemic, twenty nineteen or in twenty twenty one. How? When did your father get arrested? Um, what were the circumstances of his arrest? What did your father do? And what role was he playing in, you know, while Kai Saeed came to power? Um, so the moment he came, the moment he, Kai uh, Saeed um, had his coup, um, he, my father's name was leaked as one of the people that he was um, going to arrest. Um, uh, so in the last two years, my father has been called into questioning a few times. Um, uh, and then... I think a week before February 27th, my father was summoned a few times, and but that week he was summoned as a witness. Um, he came in, they questioned him all night, uh, all day, and actually, um, unfortunately, as he who's left... Who's questioning that him? Who's, who's interrogating uh, The police. So he was um, summoned by the police as a witness. So my father kept being summoned as a witness. For what? Um, um, they, they, there was never anything official. There was never... I mean, they what are they asking him about? Did it was a crime? Did a crime get committed? Or? No, no um, they would just be. I, they they would be questioning him again, not necessarily over a crime, just various things about 
other people in the parties. Mm. And um, actually that day during the, the last questioning before his imprisonment, um, his brother died while my dad was being interrogated. Mm. And uh, later on, after my dad's imprisonment, um, someone that was seen consoling my father actually in the funeral um, was um, detained for a few days by anti-terror police simply for talking to my father. And they even asked him, what were you talking about? He kept saying, I was consoling this man. And yeah, so anyway, a week after that um, that last uh, summoning, he was summoned again and they um, questioned him. Um, they took him to our house. Um, they raided the house. They took all his papers um they were convinced of his answers but they detained him for two days in Tunis the capital and then sent him a few days later to source with regards to another case and this case is called the Instalingo case Instalingo is a PR company um my father was never associated with it and um during his questioning um there um, people were convinced my father was going to be released because they said the prosecution was convinced of his answers. However, the judge sent him to prison without charge, um, without even a formal accusation. Um, and he was, uh, they sent him to prison until they found further evidence. The judge in question, after sending my father to prison, said later that my father was never named. He was never a suspected suspect or associated with the case, yet they sent him to this city to question him about the case and sent him to prison over it. So it's um, that, that's the kind of madness we're dealing with in Tunisia. And that's because at the same time, um, the president has, um, well, Qais Said has said that um, he's, he's held the judiciary hostage for the since the last two years, and um, he's also said since the crackdowns began um, to all the judges that they should um, send them all the political prisoners. He should send them to prison, and if they don't, they'll be considered as co-conspirators. So now he's being held this whole time. Is he under trial, or what's happening? No. What's happening with his case? Um, that's the thing. We are just sitting and waiting and seeing because we don't know what's happening. They haven't said there's any trial. They, he's in prison until they find evidence. Tunisia before two years ago, this would be absurd and this would be illegal. So my father doesn't have a trial date. He hasn't been charged. Um, technically, he doesn't even really have a formal accusation. Uh, his uh, He immediately actually began hunger strike the moment um, they sent him to prison because he felt like the only autonomy he had was his body he um he 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 was in hunger strike for 10 days but he stopped for, to prepare for ramadan during that time they sent him to hospital a few times but he lo he'd lose consciousness because they wouldn't uncuff him when doing the blood work he's in an overcrowded prison cell he's with 120 people in a cell that has a maximum capacity of 60 um during ramadan they wouldn't tell him his prayer time uh, prayer times nor when to start his fast or to end it um they placed violent mentally ill criminals in his um cell um one of which gouged the eye out of another inmate one um cuts his flesh and was putting it in a sandwich and eating it 
One was self-harming. So we know that there's like sharp objects in his cell. They also placed a camera in his cell after he joined. And last month we heard that he's receiving death threats from an, from another inmate, but not in his cell. So now you're, you've been you've recently came to the United States in Washington D.C. You're going to different European capitals. Uh, you're mm -hmm. now in in Africa, and going to the African court uh, seeking the release of uh, you know your father. What's your message that you're saying, and that you said in Washington and in these uh, different European capitals? Well, in the U.S., um, I actually managed to uh, meet people from both sides of. Uh, the political um, divide, um, and they, with Tunisia anyway, they seem to be on the same side. We also spoke to the State Department. My, um, with the US, my first, uh, my main ask, obviously, after the release of all political prisoners, was for them because, um, to review their military aid to Tunisia, because they have trained um, our military, um, and our military that was notoriously neutral uh, stopped being neutral the moment the coup happened, the moment the tank was in front of parliament, the moment um, parliamentarians couldn't go on with their work, um, that's when they stopped being neutral. Um, also, um, trying civilians in military court, that's when they also stopped being neutral. We have um, someone, quite a senior official in the military, who's currently the Minister of Agriculture without resigning. That's also um, co-signing what's going on. So what we've asked is to look at those, um, look at that budget, reduce it, as well as um, counter-terrorism as well, because that money is now being misused and those resources are being misused in Tunisia because they're being used to um, imprison political prisoners, calling them all terrorists. Uh, meanwhile, we had a terror attack and that's, that, those resources are not being used there. Mm. Um, we're also calling for targeted sanctions at the Qaisaid, the three interior ministers since the coup, the Minister of Defense and the Minister of Justice. And so, yeah, that's been my main ask in uh, the, the week that I was there. Kothar, um, we're actually out of time. I'm glad you ended with what you're calling for and we hope to follow up with you in the future find out you Thank know you. the progress you've made and we wish you um best uh, of luck and best wishes on your campaign to free your father uh Said Farjani. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so for much having me. For joining us and stay safe. Thank you. Bye. That was uh, Kauthar Farjani. She's the daughter of Said Farjani, a political prisoner in Tunisia. He was part of the opposition and was in the leadership and after a military coup or a presidential kind of coup against the democracy. He's now in prison. Remember, our show is going to start airing next Thursday at noon, 12 o'clock noon here at WMNF, WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you next week.